0: Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. My name is Eric Wicklund, and I'm the Technology and Innovations Editor here at Health Leaders. Today, we're talking to Robert Crow, a 23-year veteran of the recruiting and staffing industry, who's now the Executive Vice President of Per Diem and Local Workforce Strategies at Medical Solutions and the founder of MatchWell. In 2018, he set out to help healthcare organizations access and engage a flexible workforce without an agency. Hello, Robert. Hey, Eric. How are you today? I am fine. Thank you very much for for joining us on this podcast. Well, I'm very excited to be here. So, thank you. It, it's certainly a, a a popular topic right now: workforce strategy. Uh, workforce. Shortages in healthcare have led to a lot of different ideas on how to how to how health systems can make sure that they've got the the staff they need. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of the key industry trends you're seeing um, this year?
1: Yeah, thanks, Eric. You know, um, kind of as you mentioned, it, it, it's a fascinating time as we think about workforce in healthcare and. Yeah, you know, I'll start by saying I think a lot of the macro trends that we're currently seeing across the industry, um, they they were mostly in play even before the pandemic. But mm-hmm. with the pandemic and you know um, you know pushing our workforces to to the brink uh, of burnout and all, all kinds of other challenges that arose through that, uh, I think what it's done is it's expedited some of those macro trends. And 2023 has really been the first year where we've seen. You know, those dare I say post pandemic trends really start getting organized and so um, you know a couple of those trends I'll, I'll kind of list three that are top of the radar for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know the first one is um, of course during the pandemic we saw this massive uh, spike in the use of uh, agency so a lot of travelers and other things um, you know kind of spiked up and um, that has started to recede uh, and I would even say that. Um, it's declining faster than anyone was expecting. And I think that's that's a good thing you know overall for the industry is where we as a healthcare system and infrastructure are not as reliant on travelers. Um, but but you know that that travel count is down by about 30 percent. So far in, in 2023, and that again, that's more than anyone was expecting. Uh, the second thing that we're uh, <laughs> we're kind of watching really unfold here is the rise of these quote staffing platforms uh, as they kind of proliferate, you know, across the United States. Um, it kind of feels like every organization now has an app. You know, there's some technology component to uh, all of these workforce uh, challenges and solutions, et cetera. To a point where it's actually starting to get difficult in sorting through the differences and different categories uh, across these technologies. The third thing that uh, we're really keeping an eye on is this realization uh, for many healthcare systems that this flex work environment is here to stay. And so many of them are really looking at how do we kind of create these internal flexible workforce programs, or you know sometimes we call them internal staffing companies uh, within a healthcare system, so that they can provide more flexibility to their workforce, they can attract, they can retain clinicians here in, dare I say, the modern work world. And so these these quote internal agencies are all the rage right now, and that's something that. Just wasn't really on in, in anybody's um, uh, you know dictionary or you know part of the everyday uh, vernacular uh, before 2023.
0: I see. Does this mean the more health systems are tackling staffing on their own rather than looking for help from outside? Yeah, it's a great
1: question. I, 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 they still are looking for help, but what they are doing is they're they're not just looking for an easy button to have somebody else do it for them. They're really looking more holistically at. What does it take to attract and retain workers of all types in this current work world? And so I do think that there's a, a more of let's do this ourselves. Let's make some investments internally, mainly because I think people are realizing these trends are not uh, they didn't come because of the pandemic and they're not going to go away because of the pandemic. They're here to stay.
0: The health systems are really struggling right now, that's for sure. Um okay you mentioned uh, the, the first topic was travelers. Um, I remember when that was a popular uh, way of doing things especially for nurses uh, uh, now you, as you say it, it's down 30 percent they're not uh, the hospitals aren't using travelers now or, or nurses aren't wanting to travel or t- are wanting to travel do you think that that's going to bounce back up at some point or is that kind of a the way things are going to go for travelers
1: yeah, so, you know, with with the pandemic we saw a spike. Um so to put that in context, before the pandemic roughly 1.4% of clinicians across America worked as a traveler and, you know, kind of moved around the country providing care. And that number is measured annually by staffing industry analysts. So, this is, you know, this is a a, a number that lots of people look at. So, we went from 1.4, then the pandemic hit, and lo and behold, everybody needed staff. Um, And so, what that started doing is driving up the demand for more and more people. So, we saw that uh, percentage of clinicians that were willing to travel, you know, they're willing to maybe leave their full-time job, they're willing to leave their family behind for, you know, three months at a time to go provide care somewhere else, that number shot up to almost 6% of clinicians in America. So, you know, I'm not a math wizard, but, you know, that's about a 4x uh, multiple uh, in a very, very short amount of time. Now, that number is starting to come down as the demand for those services has decreased as many clinicians that, you know, maybe they went to be a traveler because they could, uh, get paid more you know they could double their salary you know by doing that but but they never really wanted that as a full-time lifestyle you know they had their church they had their family they had schools they had commitments back in their local communities and so you know a lot of those are going back into full-time jobs um hmm. i don't see the number getting back to pre-pandemic numbers but you know we as an industry are kind of seeing this as you know this new normal we think is going to settle in around three percent. clinicians so you know that's half of what it was during the peak of the pandemic but it's also still about double uh the count that we had pre-pandemic
0: yeah do you think health systems are looking at travelers differently now than they used to or finding different uses for travelers
1: yeah you know i think i think there's an awareness that um you know quote agency uh is is dynamic. And, and I'm going to use the word dynamic only because um, you know, many healthcare systems just say, oh, agency's bad. Well, what they've realized is there is a good use of agency. And that's really these travelers. If you don't have a local supply of clinicians to help cover your patient care, then you must bring people in from outside. Um, and so I think what they've done is they've realized, oh, well, actually i did need that during the pandemic and there may be occasions in the future we need to bring people in and that's perfectly appropriate on the other side of that equation though is this uh, realization that there were a lot of agencies out there that were taking local people away from healthcare systems and literally you know putting them to work across the street at another healthcare system but maybe charging some of those travel rates or you know and so that now I think healthcare systems are realizing, well, that's bad. We don't want that use of agency. And so, you know, I think the macro trend here is uh, just better awareness, uh, better understanding of how to appropriately uh, leverage,
0: um, you know, some of this travel workforce. Interesting. Okay, let's switch to the other, uh, the other side of things. Um, what are the benefits and the downsides of, of direct staffing platforms?
1: Yeah, so these staffing platforms, um, you know, they started entering the industry before the pandemic. As I mentioned, you know, macro, you know, all, all these things were kind of in motion. But during the pandemic, uh, these platforms really took off. And, and you think about it, you know, as healthcare clinic, uh, healthcare organizations were just desperate for staff. They would sign up with any platform out there to you know, post jobs and access people. So that just led to a proliferation of everybody kind of getting into that game. Lots of venture capital, you know, n- north of a billion dollars of uh, capital was invested in platforms um, just during the pandemic alone. And so um, – as such, I think what happened is, you know, it was a little bit of a novelty before the pandemic, and all of a sudden, everybody had a technology, everybody, you know, had their own take on this, and it started getting confusing. So, in my own tracking, I had to kind of create, you know, uh, create a spreadsheet to kind of track. It. Hey, how do you, how do you kind of organize these different platforms and think about them? And so. There's three categories that, that I personally tend to bucket uh, these platforms in. The first one is, um, you know, you've got your staffing agencies with an app. And I would say this is by far the biggest segment of, of these staffing platforms. Um, you know, as every agency out there, you know, hired somebody to build an app. Um, and the, the important thing to remember here is the business model is the same. So it used to be you picked up the phone or you emailed your your staffing vendors and you said here are my jobs and they would go find you people. Well, that is still the same process. The difference is instead of calling or emailing, you can now log into an app and kind of you know make post your jobs or view candidates, etc. Um, now that still leads to the high agency bill rates. You know it's still more of a transactional type relationship, etc. But mm-hmm. you know by and large these staffing um, platforms are Designed for staffing companies to communicate with those clinicians more effectively, and and then provide some of those efficiencies back to healthcare systems. The second bucket is what I call job boards 2.0. You know, we're all familiar with platforms like Indeed or you know these job platforms out there where you post a job and then you you pray that you know a candidate may may raise their hand. Well, these platforms are now kind of taking that to the next level. So sure, there's job posting capabilities, but these uh, job boards 2.0 are really taking your jobs, and they're doing a better job of really filtering through the clutter, making sure that people that aren't qualified don't see your jobs, or at least they're not submitted to you. Um, And some of these platforms are even uh, reverse engineering the process, meaning they don't really take your job and then post it out to the clinicians. What they're doing is they're going out and they're finding workers, and they're bringing them to you so that you can post your jobs directly to the, you know, that, that, that smaller pool of people. So it's a very exciting area of how this is developing, but uh, again, it's more posting jobs in, in, in approach. The third category uh, is really more focused on, on scheduling and kind of optimizing staff. Uh, you know, maybe helping with internal resource pools, or sometimes those are called float pools. You know, how do you kind of quote Uberize your workforce uh, so that you don't need to go out there and find more people in the first place? You know, or you know, um, you know, how do you manage your different agency vendors? You know, through this platform. So I think that's kind of this third bucket. And of course, you know, there's plenty of us out there that have a hybrid uh, of all these different uh, functionalities. Um, you know, just to ramble one more minute, I would say there's a lot of benefits when we start looking at bringing technology in- into this conversation. You know, it used to be, you know, staffing vendors, staffing resources, job boards, everything else was very, um, uh, uh, you, you had to go talk to 30 different companies and you know, kind of send your jobs out there, and you had to manage all those. Technology is enabling us to really access more data. Uh, and doing it in a, in a more transparent way. So I'm really excited about th- these platforms and what they're able to offer uh, healthcare systems and yet there's another side to that coin uh, while there's a lot of benefits, you know it also means oh great there's yet another technology that I have to use and that's the pushback you know from healthcare systems is nobody wants yet another technology uh, they've got too much technology in their lives and so, I think the way this is going to settle out, um, you know, as we start looking to 2024 or 2025 and beyond, um, is those platforms that can provide more of an ecosystem of support. So instead of just one functionality, maybe you can do three or four things through that platform. Those are going to become more of a, a much more strategic plug into the operating uh, model with a lot of these healthcare systems.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: and so, yeah, I think it's an exciting time with, with, with this technology.
0: Yeah, uh, certainly, with digital health is is, is all the rage in, in healthcare right now for so many reasons. And it's, uh, we, uh, you know, I talk about it in terms of clinical uh, care and clinical support, but to see how it can be applied to uh, staffing and and jobs and, and 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 helping a health system secure and incentivize its workforce is is, is fascinating. Um, For health systems out there that are considering uh, developing an internal staffing program or going in this direction, maybe they're just starting to learn the technology and get used to it, you know, what are the best practices that you'd recommend for them and and how should they get started?
1: Yeah, so um, as I mentioned earlier, everybody's really focused on how do we access all of these workers that are looking for flex work more directly, you know, um again without without the traditional agency involved. And so part of that is um you know what infrastructure do they need to set up internally at, at their own healthcare systems to, to accommodate that. Um, so um you know these internal staffing programs really are the way to communicate and engage a flexible workforce. And, and again when I'm I'm really kind of talking about that local workforce, not not really the travelers. But you know, you kind of draw a line. Say, you know, maybe it's 50 miles, or you know, uh, you know, some geographies maybe it's a little further. Or you know, if you're in the middle of New Jersey and you're on the turnpike, you know, maybe that this radius is a little less. But you know, draw that radius around. What what is that commuting distance to your building? And I think number one, it's eight, uh, these healthcare systems are they have to be willing to say no. To using staffing companies or agencies for access to that local workforce. They really need to think about it as that's their workforce. They don't need to go to somebody else to get access to their workforce anymore. And these internal staffing programs are really designed to go access that local workforce. So I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, to your second part of your question of kind of how do you get started? It, it's by saying no. It's holding that line and saying, I'm not gonna pay a premium. I'm not going to go to somebody else to access what I should have as my own in the first place. Uh, the second piece of that is um, they they need technology. you know, and so this is where I, I don't recommend healthcare systems go build their own proprietary technology. Too much technology already exists out there. <laughs> um, you know, so go find partners, go find the technology components that you can embrace and use to manage your float pools, to manage your access, to manage contract work, et cetera. You know, think, you know, kind of like an internal agency. But, you know, all that technology exists. So just go find the partners and with a press of a button, you can now Uberize your workforce and, you know, access new people. Um, you know, it's funny, uh, Eric, I, 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 we still walk into a lot of healthcare systems and you know, they're trying to set up float pools or these internal agencies and they're trying to do it via Excel. Or they're, you know, they're like, oh, we, we got our staffing coordinators who are, you know, going to use text messaging or email to, to communicate. I, that may have worked, you know, before the pandemic or before some of these technologies came along. Um, that's not an effective use uh, of technology. You know, let, you know, there are plenty of platforms out there that are very cost effective to be able to really stand up and, and manage uh, um, an internal program today. Um, but of course, you, you, I would recommend that these healthcare systems also uh, resource appropriately, meaning you probably need your own dedicated recruiting resources or marketing resources just for that Flex work program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know many healthcare systems are spending so much time trying to hire full-time employees that you know if you just layer in Flex work on top of that, th- they're gonna stretch themselves too thin. So I think really being intentional and saying no, we're, we're going to have a different market strategy. We're going to have a different recruiting bucket of resources to go find flex workers is, is really important here. Um, you know, and that includes headcount. It, 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 you know, you can't you can't half resource these types of programs and expect to get full uh, results. And so there there is a financial component of investment here. Yeah. Uh, and then there's one more bucket that. Mm-hmm. That I think a lot of healthcare systems really get stuck in uh, when they're setting up these flex work programs or internal agencies, and that is they have not really taken the time with their legal counsel or you know with, with you know kind of a holistic view on how do we actually set up categories of people for this modern work world, for those people that are only looking for shift work or those people only looking for contract work, you know. Are flex workers paid the same as your full-time employees? Okay, if, if you're paying them differently, on what on what variables? How are you paying them differently? Uh, do flex workers get benefits? And if so, which ones? You know, uh, um, you know, how do you manage uh, Affordable Care Act uh, requirements around access to benefits if you don't offer it to them? You know, these are these are all important questions. Or, you know. Um, how can, can you make it easy for somebody to come in as a flex worker, you know, picking up shift work, but then easily move into a full-time job? Or vice versa, have somebody on a full-time job move into a flex role with you because maybe their lifestyle changed. You know, maybe what they need in their personal work-life harmony changed. Well, don't lose that person, you know, outside of your organization altogether how can you move them more fluidly into situations where they can work for you and have that balance with life that they're seeking? Um, and, you know, I think just being able to document and having those conversations internally uh, before you get started are
0: really, really important. I see. Are the strategies different for the, the different types of workers that healthcare systems need? I mean, we uh, often when we're talking about these types of platforms, they're, they're primarily for nurses, but uh, you're looking for doctors, you're looking for executives, you're looking for IT talent nowadays. Are the strategies different for attracting each of those types of, uh, of, of staff?
1: I, I, I'm laughing at your question because increasingly – the conversations we're having with uh, healthcare systems is much more than just clinical. Um, You know, I I think I probably personally default to a clinical workforce just because that's what I've been focused on, you know, for the last 25 years. But, um, you know, I have also come to a realization that, you know, non-clinical does not mean non-critical to patient care. Uh, And I think a lot of healthcare systems are realizing that, you know, uh, those non-clinical workforces are every bit as important. And more and more of those people are also seeking that work-life harmony. That's not the traditional full-time job. You know, more and more people are looking for flexibility. Matter of fact, um, you know, gosh, I could quote 20 different studies showing that the fastest growing segment of the workforce, again, all industries, all types of positions, are those people looking for flexibility. And so I think, to your point, there, there's, um, there's different buckets uh, of this. However, um, when you pull it back to attracting and retaining people, it's not complicated. You, know, you might have non-clinical workers. You may have clinical workforce. You may have your doctors, et cetera. They're, they're still kind of the same buckets of support in terms of these people are looking for shift work. These people are more on contract work, or these people are full-time jobs. Um, so I don't think it's overly complicated, but it does take a real intentional effort to uh, kind of shift how we thought about, you know, we. I think in the past we've all thought about our workforce as, oh, they're full-time people. That's not really the case in 2023 anymore. You know, everybody's, you know, kind of thinking about themselves as gig workers or entrepreneurs or you know people that want to own their own schedule. And so as such, we must embrace. Work pro, uh, programs that that accommodate that mindset.
0: Yeah, it's it's certainly a different environment nowadays than it was say ten years ago. So um, now as we go forward, well, actually, there's one other technology that we really haven't talked about that may affect how uh, health systems look at their workforces. How about telehealth? Does that affect how a health system markets its its open jobs or searches for the people it needs to fill those spots?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, the pandemic opened up. I think a willingness for a lot of healthcare systems to look at telehealth uh, a little more broadly than they were pre-pandemic. You know, um, it, it's easy to come up with an excuse and say, well, we we can't, you know, do this via, uh, you know, Zoom or online, et cetera. You know, we must do it in person. The pandemic actually made it a requirement where, you know, we weren't getting together in person, and so a lot of a lot of conversations, a lot of visits, you know, even personally, my my you know so much of my you know my my individual doctor relationships are now done online and then i just go to the lab to get you know the blood work done kind of stuff so i think there's a uh, we've come a long way in a very short amount of time and that does trickle down to the workforce you know because now there's a growing trend of how do we hire nurses who can sit at home and take care of this work uh and so that's a that's a pretty fast growing segment i would say it's still I think we're still behind where that's headed. I think that's, you know, if, if, if I'm invited back, you know, in 24, 25, and you know, coming years, we're going to have more to talk about there. The pandemic opened that door, and we've realized that door is not being closed. But I think we're still in probably the early days of really embracing that for the full capacity uh, of what's capable there.
0: Okay. Now let's bring this around to, to match well. Um, what are some of the challenges that organizations face in developing these internal agencies and how does Matchwell help navigate those challenges?
1: Well, yeah, you know, I, there's certainly no shortage of challenges. I mean, this is the people business and uh, people are very dynamic and it, it's hyper uh, individualized, uh, you know. So, you know, what the way that you may appeal to one person could be very different than the next. And so this is definitely not a one size fits all type approach. Um you know, kind of as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, um, and, I, and I want to be careful not to oversimplify this, but there is quite a bit of work that healthcare systems need to do to think through how to categorize these employees, um, you know, how to organize them, how to communicate with them, and also, you know, how to do so in a productive way so that it doesn't distract you know, from your full-time workers, uh, etc. So, you know, setting up a solution from scratch, if you're a healthcare system and you've not done that, um, can be a little overwhelming. Um, and that's really why I started Matchwell, was how do we provide the technology, the the resources, kind of, you know, all the, all the nuts and bolts so that a healthcare system can navigate through that setup, navigate through those uh, processes with a press of a button. And so, yeah you know, i mean what what we're talking about here is really you know our core business um and so now granted it took me over 20 years of working in the industry to figure out what landmines to step on and so a lot of what matchwell was intended to do or is intended to do is just to help healthcare systems know what questions to ask um, and then help them set this up and again don't go build your own technology cuz you know, we can provide
0: it for you, and with a press of a button, you can get started. Yeah, and in this economy, as as we've said, with the uh, stress and burnout at such high levels, and workforce numbers at, at at really low right now, it's it's it is very important that health systems understand the uh, the the strengths and the weaknesses of, of of these types of strategies, and and really put a lot of effort into to making sure they're at the, they're at the top of their level.
1: Yeah, no, you know, flexibility is the new currency. You know, we we're not going to be able to buy our way out of this by paying more. People want flexibility, and so we have to meet them with uh, where they're at, what they're looking for in their lives. And if we universally, you know, across all healthcare systems, can embrace more flexibility and provide them more ways to provide great patient care, then we're going to be able to attract them and and retain them. And so. Um, You know, this is not a short-term, press-of-a-button, you know, silver-bullet answer. We're playing the long game here, but it's such an important uh, component of how we provide patient care in America.
0: Definitely. Robert, thank you very much for uh, joining us for today's podcast. This has been fascinating. Yeah, I appreciate the time. Super fun. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We will be back next week with more healthcare industry insights.